Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right, welcome to our podcast. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. We're two attorneys here of Pasha Law, firm practicing in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. And uh, welcome to the podcast. I don't get the opportunity to do the bulk of the, the intros. We're splitting it up a little bit this time, but welcome everybody. This is where we take business in the news and add our legal twist to it. And I think today we have a nice topic. What do we have? We have an interesting topic today. Uh, we're going to be discussing what's come together as a, a group of independent artists and designers who have all alleged that their, their works, intellectual property, have been stolen by this huge fashion icon, Zara, who's, I believe, a Spanish-based company. One artist in particular, which kind of started this whole dispute that's been going on, is Tuesday Bassett, who's first started off by taking action. They sent a cease and desist letter to Zara and basically asked them for compensation because she was under the impression that her some of her pins and patches, and it's going to be easier for us to kind of show this in the, we'll put a link in the notes so people, they have to see for themselves, but basically saying that some of her work had been essentially ripped off by this huge company. And you know, as a result, she lost money. So we know this is something a lot of business owners care, care about. I mean, particularly ones that we work with. I mean, being the, the smaller companies here, sometimes they have to fight these battles against the bigger ones. So you know, this is something that comes up all the time with clients and other individuals that we talk to. So I think it's going to be a pretty good, we're going to run through kind of the background here, but I think it's going to be a pretty good takeaway for, for these smaller companies because those are the, going to be the ones in this position here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thankfully, I am a fashion guru, as you said. So <laughs> I've, actually, I've actually shopped at Zara, I think at least once. Okay. And, and I assume you have not? No. I didn't even know they sold men's clothes until I looked them up. So. Oh, I didn't buy men's clothes there. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but, uh, but apparently Zara has a little bit of a reputation, uh, apparently, of allegedly stealing some of these designs. And Tuesday Bassin is not the first person to go after Zara for the same thing. But I think her case is a little bit different, and she seems to have... A social media presence that is behind her. And I think that's what really galvanized a response from Zara to, you know, that has gone public now. Yeah, exactly. She's really the one that has kind of kicked things off, or at least the one that gained the PR in order for other people to step up. And there's, I know another one, for example, this guy named Adam Kurtz, who was verified when I looked him up on Twitter. So he must be a pretty big deal in the industry as well. <laughs> but yeah, so so Tuesday, she started things off by sending the cease and desist letter to Zara, essentially saying, and we don't, as far as we know, we we don't know the exact. Yeah, we couldn't find the exact letter, but we I think we know how much we, she paid for it. She paid $2,000, yeah. <laughs> but we don't know what ex, what exactly it said. Yeah, the, the pertinent information is just how much she paid an attorney to write it and not what was actually in there. <laughs> not a bad price, by the way. <laughs> so we, I mean, but we can, we probably have a good idea what was in there. I mean, basically, I'm, I'm assuming she kind of asserted that she owns these works and Zara is infringing upon them by, you know, straight up ripping them off. And I assume maybe she had asked for some sort of compensation for them to stop doing it. Something to that effect is, is my guess. So she can send me that bill for $2,000 now as well. Since I just <laughs> Anyone could have wrote. No, that's true. No, absolutely. It's a, it was probably a typical cease and desist letter that outlines, you know, the reasons why 
Zara should take down what they're what they're selling. And I believe they did do that. Yeah, eventually. That's correct. But but here's here's the thing with that. You kind of have to know the background of Zara to understand why that may not be the biggest deal in the world for them because Zara is actually known for, may, may not be widely known, but since I'm a fashion guru, I, I know this <laughs> with the help of our researcher, of course, Logan. So Zara is actually, they're known for being able to produce a new design and put it to market really quickly as, as little to a week. Mm-hmm. And they're able to do about you know 12,000 new designs each year. And because of that agility, they go through new designs very quickly. And, and if it's not going off the shelf, they get rid of it and, and go on to the next one. And so getting rid of the design is not that big of a deal. And if it's true that this is part of a common practice in the sense, I don't, I don't know if that's the case or not, but definitely there's other people that have made similar allegations. If that's the case, then, then they may just, you know, play that, play that role in that, okay, let's just, you know, get the good designs out. And then, you know, by the time anyone complains, we're no longer selling the designs. Yeah, it could be that. Or, and, you know, I, th- I think that's, there's a good chance that could be the case, but in, you know, in this case as well. So, like, like you said, they eventually they stopped selling these items, but that seems to be exactly in line with the, what their model is. Typically, it's you know, at, at any time since they pump out so much volume, at any time they can just stop selling something, stop making it, and that's it, and move on to the next thing. It's not like a typical. I don't know the exact numbers of other big fashion companies, but I'm sure it doesn't approach the. The number of designs that Zara pumps out every year, which oh, and in fact, it it takes six months for most retailers to actually go from design to production to put it in store. So a week is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and that's the kind of insight I was looking for from my fashion expert. So I'm glad. that's right. <laughs> so let's get. I think the most interesting part of this is Zara's response. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of things here. This, so this is, to, yeah. to sum it up, this is their defense. The pins, patches, whatever you want to call them. There was a lack of distinctiveness between the designs of Tuesday and the infringing designs of Zara. Zara can, makes it very hard to see how a significant part of the population anywhere in the, anywhere in the world was, would associate the signs with Tuesdays, which that argument just doesn't even make sense to me. It's... We just don't even see how anyone can confuse these. I mean, I get that aspect of it, but that's just—it's a weird thing that they had put in there. Well, it's and 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 that makes me believe that the cease and desist letter probably alleged, in part at least, trademark infringement. Yeah. And of course, one of the elements of of being able to prove trademark infringement is that there's a likelihood of confusion. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, Zara is saying that there's no way anyone can confuse these. And what's <laughs> And this is literally a slap in the face. They talk about how Zara has 98 million average monthly visits per year. That's their main site, yeah. Yeah, their main site and and something else called Bershka. I don't know what that is. 15 million average monthly visits last year. So as if like, okay, Tuesday, you are way too small. No one's going to confuse you, your designs with ours and so forth. But there's, okay, there's trademark infringement. And that's, that's one area of the law that a lot of designers can use to protect their designs. But keep in mind that establishing a trademark, think of that more as like Louis Vuitton having that kind of design is associated with Louis Vuitton. And so therefore, anyone else that tries to do that, if they've established that kind of presence or if they've been able to trademark it legally, then they may be able to prove that that anyone else that tries to emulate them, there's a likelihood of confusion. Mm-hmm. Whereas a copyright, think of it as 
the actual pattern of Louis Vuitton. So the, the, the pattern that they've designed that's iconic to them, which I'm trying to picture in my mind right now. I can't seem to do that, but <laughs> I know it does have an iconic design, but that particular pattern can be copyrighted. And if you copy that pattern, then, you're, then it's copyright infringement. And, yeah. and so it's kind of an interesting response, but Matt, you've seen these, these patches, right? Compared basically side by side between Tuesday's design and Zara's. Right, and like I said, we're, we're gonna put a link to this because I mean, I'm looking at the four that were initially alleged right now. It's, I, the way I describe it is they're kind of, I don't wanna say kids drawings, but younger drawings of certain shapes like a heart and an eraser and, and things in a book that i say like younger drawings because the lines aren't straight like obviously a book is not <laughs> yeah. it's, it's cartoonish right? a book's I mean, not a trapezoid kind of... yeah yeah cartoonish is a good way to put it no but you're right if you're listening it's hard to kind of imagine that you'll have to go to the website but the best i can describe it if i can attempt it is just kind of a cartoonish patch mm-hmm. that is on on clothing so there's one picture of a heart lollipop and another one that says it's basically a what are those triangle banners called? I don't know. Pennant. The pen, yeah, pennant that just says girls on it. So that's my <laughs> that's my attempt. Yeah, well, they have a book that says keep out, same color, same kind of latch. The there's a heart instead of an eyeball. So I mean, but it's you know you look at these things and they look some of them look like the one the heart lollipop looks exactly the same basically. I I, th- I think they all look exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they didn't use a copy machine. But they practically, if, if someone was, you know, emulating it by hand, it looks exactly the same. Right. And going back to what you said, I, you know, we moved on a little bit this, from this, but I think you're right about the trademark infringement because for copyrights, like you were mentioning, I mean, there needs to be ownership and then original, you know, original artwork and someone copied it and that'd be copyright. But yeah, trademark's going to be the likelihood of confusion. So I, I guess it makes a little more sense when you look at it, but it's still... A weird way. And let me get into the last point here in the czar response, because I thought this is even more crazy. In the last regard, please note that such notifications amount to a handful of complaints only. So basically they're saying, you know, we this is only a little bit of complaints. We we have, like you mentioned, 98 million <laughs> visits to our average monthly visits. 98 million average monthly visits last year. Okay. Yeah. Still quite a bit, but yeah, yeah. as if like only as a small portion of their users that are complaining as if like they're supposed to know that okay, this may be copyright infringement. And, and by the way, the, the, probably the only reason that people were complaining is because of Tuesday's social media response. But really, the measure is not, you know, if when it comes to copyright, at least, copying those designs, you know, verbatim, that's pretty egregious in my mind. And if they have a history of that, it also shows intent. Mm-hmm. And the thing is with fashion, actually, copyrights traditionally don't protect fashion designs. No. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to prove that distinctiveness that comes with, you know, fashions and certain cuts because there's some utility to, to it. Like, for example, there's only so many ways that you can do a belt. It has to have a, you know, something that goes around the waist and a buckle. And so, and, and there's only so many ways to design a buckle that still maintains its function. So generally the courts have not permitted any kind of copyright protection for just general designs, but what they have allowed protection are patterns, certain images or pictures. And in this case, that's exactly what it is. It's okay, you have a certain fashion, but you have a picture of a patch or a pen that is actually on the particular clothing. So a little bit different here. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that's, that is the case here. And, you know, it says that Tuesday is in the process of trademarking and copywriting or submitting these. So 
I did a quick search for the trademark and there was only I only found one under her name which wasn't even that had nothing to do with it was just a, a phrase had nothing to do with any of these so and which is not uncommon because I mean for you know as, as everyone knows a fashion designer isn't going to trademark every single design nor is it not possibly trademarkable even but this in theory if it is that would be overly cumbersome and, and expensive because you don't know which trademark fashion designs will work. And, and that's kind of, that's always been a problem in the fashion industry for some designers. And there's always been every once in a while, you'll hear some movement to try to get some more protections for designers. Uh, we, we, you know, I, I mentioned Louis Vuitton and their purses and these other designer purses are a classic example of, of industry leaders that are trying to make copyright infringement much easier. And that's why patterns are much easier to protect. And those knockoffs have had a history of being able to, you know, litigate against. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's something I've always wondered about. Well, particularly, I guess in other countries, it might be different, but you you see it there. But you can go to New York City, for example, and go down and buy knockoff, you know, whatever. Good example, I'm wearing a Lacoste polo and uh, I know people that have the alligator one right yeah I know people that have bought you can go and buy you know five knockoff lacoste polos for you know 25 but I don't know what the numbers are because I haven't done it but 20 wow 25 I just making I don't know maybe it's 25 a piece I have no idea but you can you can go and do that Wow, 25 a piece <laughs> you can go and do that and I've just always wondered about how you know how they skirt the law I just kind of assume that they were doing it illegally and, oh yeah they are yeah for sure they crack down on it too yeah, well, we had the, that's why, I, you know, looked into it a little more for these purposes. And there's a case of Alexander Wang. He won an insane amount. And so $90 million in damages, I guess, against 45 different. 45 different, I guess, other defendants that were knocking off his product, websites. Yeah, 45 individuals with nearly 500 websites and other issues with that, with trademark. I don't think he's going to see any of that money. And what's interesting though, there is, it was a trademark infringement case and also cyber squatting. And it was probably easier for him when you're doing it online and you're using the same brand name, for example, just for the sake of discussion, it was Alexander Wang. Let's say his, his, his brand name is Alexander. And then you have all the other sites that are saying Alexander purses, Alexander watches, and it's a lot easier to sue because you can establish a trademark associated with your brand. Mm-hmm. But if someone that is totally unrelated to Alexander, copies the design, then the enforcement becomes a little bit more difficult. And that's proven by, you know, actually Louis Vuitton, I mentioned earlier, they got into a shakeup with Zara too. They had designed this, what's, you know, this some open-toed red-soled shoe it was selling. And it was, and apparently, let's see, they had claimed that an open-toed red-soled shoe, it was selling for 40 pounds in, I guess, in, in Europe was similar to its yo-yo style shoe that the designer had made famous much time before. But it was actually, and this is a French case, and European law actually is a little bit more strict in some ways when it comes to copyright protection. But actually in that case, the French court ruled that Zara's cut price shoe could not be confused with that made by the high-end designer. And I agree with that too, if you looked at the photos. I mean, it's, it, was much, it was much different than this Tuesday Basson case. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of times, sometimes you just have to make a small, small change in order for there to be a, a big enough difference. But yeah, compared to Tuesday. Not to embarrass the fashion guru here, but uh, so that you, your example previously was Louis Vuitton. And this is... A Lu- oh, <laughs> I honestly thought it was written. Yeah, it says Louis. What is it? Louis? 
I think it's Lou Booten. It's Christian Christian Lou Booten. I don't. It's, oh. I could be mispronouncing that. I thought it was written down so that I can pronounce it. No, I knew. Oh. See, I knew you were doing that, but uh, that's fine. We've exposed you, just like Zara was exposed with their ripoffs. And actually, I was going to point one more thing before we get into the legal takeaways here. I actually stumbled across a site that basically was trying to because you had mentioned before this it's not just tuesday this happened to it was a bunch of different independent artists and designers there's a site that's essentially you know stop zara's theft and it just shows all of these images just like the ones that you and i were looking at a little bit ago with the eraser and the the heart some of them are you know kind of close but some of them are almost dead on like this one's of tuesday so i'm still going to side of these independent artists because at the end of the day their stuff's getting ripped off and i th- if i had to guess I mean, I know they're pumping out a lot of different things, and I don't know if it's intentional, but it could be a case where, you know, when you produce 12,000 different designs a year, you know, let's say you go and, and see something, you know, or you walk around, you see some design online or at a store, whatever, subconsciously it's in your head, and maybe you, you know, one of the designers and you go and draw that out, and that's what it ends up being. Some of them are too close, I think, for that to be the case, but I can definitely see that happening. You know, the reason I bring this up, I was listening to a podcast with, Seth Rogen this past week, and he didn't want to see, I forget the specifics, but he didn't want to see, watch this movie he really wanted to watch because he was in the middle of writing a movie and he thought subconsciously he was going to pull something from that movie he really wanted to see and somehow write it into his script, which I thought was interesting. And I can definitely see it happening, you know, if you're, you're really pushed on trying to get something out and this is it happened on Seinfeld too. Remember with the Ziggy cartoon? Yeah, with Elaine. Absolutely. So, I, like I said, I don't know what's the case here, but no, I th- I think you're right. I think it's a I think it's a common thing to happen. But as you said, when you have four images, and by the way, I'm looking at shoparttheft.com yeah, now, that's and it. it has more, <laughs> much more than four images. Yeah. It has about twenty or so that look exactly the same. It really it, it's it becomes probably more than just subconscious. Yeah, and most likely. Most likely Zara has a bunch of designers doing a bunch of things and it may just be one bad actor that, you know, in order to save his or her job has to come up with cool designs and just, you know, wants to surf the internet for that. Yeah. I mean, some of these are, it's, I, that's what I was saying. It's way too close for, for, to be a subconscious thing, too much detail in some of these for it to just be, you know, it's different than a, an eraser that says the same word, for example. So yeah. we'll let people decide for themselves, but I think they're going to they're gonna come down on our side on this one, the artist's Tuesday side, independent artist side. You know, like we, we mentioned at the beginning, at the top of the show, or top of the episode, this is something that a lot of, obviously a lot of small, very small, sometimes one person or small and medium-sized businesses experience or can experience if they're designing something, doing something artistic. So when this happens, or I guess one, they have to find out, but two, what's the response going to be? What's the best course of action? You know, how, do, how does a small business who's obviously going to get, can't do any sort of legal battle financially for most of them, you know, how do they respond or how do they adequately protect the things they've created? I mean, it's a big issue for these small companies that are creating something artistic. Absolutely. And, and the reality is, is that your intellectual property rights, and I'll repeat this, your intellectual property <laughs> rights are useless and worthless unless you have the money or means to enforce it. Yeah. And that is a big kind of limitation to smaller micro businesses that want to enforce their intellectual property rights. However, there are ways to do so short of litigation 
that can be more effective than others. And I think primarily uh, this person Tuesday using an attorney to send a strong, fast, and immediate cease and desist letter as soon as you find out Mm -hmm. becomes very important. And even if you don't have the funds to further litigate, it is probably the the most cost-effective way to possibly stop the continued infringement. Now, there's always a chance that they may not listen, and you have to consider what your next step is in order to enforce such infringement. But at the least, that's your first step. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you put a... You put them on notice at a minimum, so. That's right, yeah, at at minimum. And, you know, for a lot of these, I would have to think for a lot of these smaller companies, if they did want to pursue a lawsuit at that point, you know, I just can't imagine the damages they would have would be worth it just based on, I'm just thinking, you know, sales, you know, what they would do, you know, those, those kind of numbers. We won't get into the specifics, so. But what is developing here is, and I'm sure the, the current law firm that's been hired, it's some kind of entertainment media law firm that has now been taken up the case that they say that if they don't get some kind of reasonable action from Zara, that they're ready to file suit. I'm sure they're thinking the same things that we are, that if there are other people that are in similarly situated situations with Zara, that it's going to be much more effective to pull those into a plaintiff's group to file a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And they actually may make a substantial impact all of a sudden to to Zara, and there's all, there also may be a a lot easier way to actually litigate that because now you're splitting costs with the with other plaintiffs on the attorneys, or maybe the attorney now is willing to take it on contingency. So I wouldn't be surprised if that is on the horizon for for Zara. Yeah, I mean, especially when we mentioned that that site Stop Zara Theft, it's you know it's not only Tuesday that's having this happen to to her. That's it's a bunch of different artists, a bunch of different designers. So yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. If they can kind of pull that together, it might be a different story. So it can't always be necessarily the case with, with every case of infringement. But you know, if someone's going to rip someone off, it's probably not going to happen just once, but who knows. And, and keep in mind that if they're able to prove copyright infringement in the court of law, there are statutory damages that it, it there's a range that is statutorily provided. It goes from 750 to, I think, somewhere around 30,000 plus. And the point being is that on, on, on each incident. And so that range depends upon what the court considers just. And if the plaintiffs can show that not only did they do this once, but multiple times, and they did it intentionally, even after being forewarned in the past, that's, that's plenty of evidence to show to a judge that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to institute the maximum or you know, a large amount in statutory damages. And, and that's in addition to profits and actual damages of profits and loss. Right. And, you know, that's one point of that cease and desist. I mean, best case scenario, the cease and desist, they, they abide by it. But yeah, like we said, we, you put them on notice and at least start things from there. And yeah, it's, <laughs> that happens and the infringer continues to do it, then it's going to be even more argument to what you just said. I think that was a uh, successful review between Zara and Tuesday. The designer. Yeah, I mean, it looks like some of. The, I mean, well, it's kind of a wait and see. We don't know if she's actually going to file suit or not. Claim she's going to, but you know, she might get talked out of it, or financially, she might realize it's. Yeah, you know, obviously, she lost in the case that her stuff got ripped off. But I think this was a pretty. I think this was a net win for her with the exposure. I think so. Yeah, the exact the exposure alone, and even from Zara's perspective, I know people that may be listening to this podcast now. People that 
our followers of Tuesday, people that are familiar with the case, are going to question the next time they think about shopping at Zara. And, and so that alone, from Zara's perspective, they should probably consider doing a balancing test whether they want to actually settle this pretty quickly, make it go away, make her satisfied, and, and stop you know, making any kind of, even the appearance, appearance that they're stealing other designs, even if somehow they're able to argue that this is not copyright infringement. At the least, they should probably stop doing designs that look exactly like everybody else's. <laughs> Yeah, we were, we will have to to provide a link to that because it's yeah, it's the more I look at it, the more it just seems like it's pretty obvious. But it's a legend, still. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Yep. Keep it sound. Keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.